listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. On today's broadcast, as you saw, um, how to overcome, destroy, get out of the way, all insecurity. Uh, The reason that I wanted to deal with this, it's really one of the topics that I get asked about often. People say, you know, I'd like to do this or step out and do that. And uh, whether they use the word insecurity or not, the way they describe it, uh, what they're feeling, it's insecurity. It's truly what it is. It's a tool of the devil to hold people back from really the amazing things that God's called them to do. And I always try on this broadcast, and I hopefully I, I succeed, only you would know if I do or not. I always try to encourage the victory tribe to the place where you, there's no other thing that you could feel other than I am more than able to accomplish what God's called me to do. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about watching uh, Dr. Bill Winston and guys like him, ministers like him, is if you minister uh, faith and by the spirit of faith, then When you get done listening to a person like that, it makes you feel like I could, I could literally do anything. I could do anything. It it literally drives all doubt and unbelief that the enemy may have tried to launch at you out of your spirit. There's evangelist Jeremiah Jones. Good to see you. Love you, man. Um, It drives that out of your spirit. And I feel that there's ministers that I listen to that I feel that way when I'm listening to them. My father's like that. When he preaches, uh, you feel all doubt and unbelief leave. You feel all timidity, fear, anything that the enemy tried to put in people before they came in the room, run out. Uh, Dr. Bill Winston's that way. And though he's a teacher uh, rather than a preacher, that same anointing, that spirit of faith is on that ministry. Uh, Bishop Oyedepo's that way. When I listen to him teach and preach, you feel that anything is possible kind of a spirit. Um, there's others that through the ages that have been that way. And I like that because that's how the word of God should affect you. It should drive fear out and it should build faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I like that because you get that spirit of faith that's in you makes you feel like, you know, forget I could run through a troop and leap over the wall. You start feeling like I could run through the wall and leap over a troop. And uh, I I honestly feel that that type of ministry is more needed now than ever before. I agree with Mike. My cousin Jonathan preaches that way. Uh, And and I totally agree. And I appreciate the spirit of faith. You know, when I preach, I only have two prayers to the Lord when I preach, anytime I preach. The first one is, Lord, let me preach by a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's the first prayer I pray. Let me see things and by the Holy Spirit reveal things from the word that maybe people have never seen, but their eyes are opened to fresh revelation. Why do I pray that? Because first of all, the Bible says that it's the truth you know that sets you free, John 8, 32. 
And so maybe if people have never seen a certain aspect of God's word or his promises or his covenant, that as they, their eyes are open to that level of revelation, their freedom goes to another level. Remember this, you can only ever fly as high as the level of truth that you know and operate in. That's what I want you to see that. You can only ever fly as high as the level of truth that you know and operate in. So that's my first prayer. I say, Lord, let me pray by a spirit of, or preach by a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The second, very easy, uh, is Lord, let me preach by a gift of faith. So that when you, uh, thank you, Liz, and, and when you preach, you can feel that that faith is imparted to the people that are listening to the word being preached. You know, it's like in the, um, in the Bible as Paul, the apostle was ministering and he said, uh, the Bible says that as, as he was ministering, there was a man there in the crowd who needed a miracle. And that as Paul was preaching, he said, and Paul perceiving that he had faith to be healed. So Paul ministered in such a way that it took that man into a place where he had faith to receive a miracle. And that's, you know, the faith jumping into somebody as you minister. And I believe that, um, that's my prayer that people receive that kind of faith, a gift of faith. And then also the spirit of wisdom and revelation. When you operate on that level, when you receive that, it causes these other things to run out, run out of your mind, run out of your spirit. It causes doubt, unbelief, fear, timidity to run out. And the mighty word of God does it. It does it. But I'm going to cover some things in this broadcast today, how you can literally deal with insecurity. You can deal with that kind of timidity that tries to really hold you back from stepping out and accomplishing what you are anointed to do. I mean, no question. I tell it to you all the time. If you're part of this victory tribe and you're on here faithfully, you hear me say it often. You are anointed. You are equipped. You have what it takes to accomplish your purpose. There's no devil big enough to hold you back. There's no demon spirit that can hinder you. You've got the fullness of God's power dwelling in your spirit. And you got to think like that. You got to meditate on those things because let me tell you, the devil will do his utmost, the world, the spirit of this world, which we call the spirit of antichrist will do its utmost to try to dampen your faith or remove your faith. You got to stay in that place of being stirred up. And so I want to deal with some things that will help you to, um, be free from insecurity, timidity, spirit of fear, these things that keep you from stepping forward. The very first one that I think is so important, and I do want you to take notes today and uh, all those that are uh, listening to the podcast, break out some paper, pen, or the notes app on your tablet or phone. Take these notes. Uh, but the first thing, and put it in the comments, number one, know who you are. That's the first one. Know who you are. Put it in the comments. That's so vital, man. And it's baseline. It is foundational. Know who you are. If you don't know who you are, then here's the main trick of the enemy. 
If you don't know who you are, the devil will try to define and tell you who you are. This is why it's so big, man. You got to catch this. If you don't know who you are, the devil will try to define and tell you who you are. He'll tell you that you're unworthy. He'll tell you that you're weak. He'll tell you that you don't have what it takes. He'll tell you that you're out of position. He'll tell you that you're uh, a failure. He'll tell you that you're uh, unqualified. I mean, he'll go right down the list. If you don't know who you are, the devil will try to define and tell you who you are. Big mistake, big mistake to let the devil define in your ear who you are. And so the only way to get past that is to know by the word who you are. That's the key. Know by the word who you are. It's huge. It's huge. And so I want you to look again, one of my favorite passages, because it's new creation realities. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five. And we're, we're going to one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And we'll go from here to Ephesians chapter one and two, because combine these two together and you are dangerous. You're dangerous, dangerous. And so I want to start here because one of the ways or the avenues that the devil uses to define who you continually are and tell you who you are is what, what he does is he goes back into your past, pulls those things forward into your future and into your present and tries to put them in front of your face and say, remember this? This defines who you are. Watch what I'm teaching you now. This will help you. He reaches back into your past, pulls things out, puts them in front of your face or in your mind and says, remember this? This is who you are. This is why you failed. This is why you're not qualified. That's what he does. And in fact, the Bible refers to him as the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren. That includes the ladies. We're all brothers. We're all sons of God, according to the Bible. And notice that he pulls those things out, puts them in front of your face and tries to generate guilt, tries to generate shame, tries to make you feel like God could never use you because of who you used to be. I want to read you a few verses of scripture to encourage you today. And Leslie's on the money. She's in the spirit. Look at this now. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the golden verse of new creation reality. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Not only the old life passed away, the old man, let me break that down. The old man has passed away. <laughs> That's huge. The old man is gone. Hey, Lena. And the new man has come to life. That's massive. So listen to me because this right here will help you 
to know who you are and to act like it. When the old man died, think, think of it this way. Everything that you did in the past that was displeasing to God, that sin nature that you carried around that you couldn't be free from. Paul said uh, that you were slaves. We were slaves to sin. And there was really nothing we could do to be free from our slavery to sin. And we were attached to sin. We were joined together with it. But watch, that's why that man had to die. That old man is passed away. He's dead and he's gone. But here's the wonderful thing about it. All of that sin nature, the Bible verse was 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But that sin nature, watch this, that was attached to the old man. When the old man died and was buried, that sin nature had to die with the old man. I love this. And then we were raised up to new life in Christ. But notice what takes place because the new man is now alive. It's not even the same person. It's a, a new spiritual man. Now that the new man is alive, that there's a new nature imparted to it, attached to it. So that old man, the old nature, the sin, everything that was attached to your life is dead and gone and never coming back. And the new man is now alive, but imparted to the new man is a new nature, a God kind of nature that's attached to you, joined to you. And we jump down to uh, verse 21 to, to really see this. It says in verse 21, same chapter, for our sake, and I'm going to take the pronouns out here and use the actual name so you understand the context, because it says, uh, sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. So what happened here? Here's the transition. When the new man was created and raised up into new life, God then took his own righteousness and imparted it into your new man. And I love this. It says, so that in him we might become, we were made to be the righteousness of God. We were made to be, we didn't earn it. See, that's an important distinction. We didn't earn it. You can't earn it. We didn't get it by our own actions. We didn't do anything to receive. All we did was receive it. The Bible's clear on this. All we did was receive it. Go with me to um, the book of Ephesians chapter one, because this completes the thought. Here's what we want to see as we complete the thought, that we were given righteousness. We were made to be righteous. Hallelujah. I want you to write it this way in the comments as you're turning. I was given a new nature. Put that in. I was given a new nature. That's a huge thought because see, if it's works-based, it's based on you. You can gain it, lose it, gain it, lose it all the time. And that's when the devil can come in and make you feel as though you're unqualified. You were given a new nature. That's right. Put it in the comments. 
It's a gift. Salvation's a gift of God. The Bible teaches that. It's a gift of God. Hallelujah. Hmm. I want to, I want to read it to you. Um, I'll start in chapter two. This is Ephesians chapter two. I'll start with verse one. I want you to listen to this so carefully because this was a free, it was given to you. He made you to be like him. Verse one. And though, so no, let me start there. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So here's a powerful thought. You're not in the sons of disobedience anymore. So that spirit's not at work in you. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's who we used to be. Look at verse four now. But God, being rich in mercy, hallelujah, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. Look at this. With Christ, by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now keep going. Verse eight, so important. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works in which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, this, by the way, just a little, like a micro amount of uh, church history here. This was like the whole point of the Protestant reformation. One of the points was that salvation was by grace through faith, not by works. You know, the Catholic church had all of these different ordinances and, uh, you know, different things that would gain your salvation. And the reformers understood that's heretical. That's not what the scripture teaches. That's something created by men. And the Bible specifically says it's not by works because if it was, I could boast about my salvation and say, well, yeah, because I'm so great. You know, you should see some of the things I've done that gained me my salvation. It's not by works. It's not by works or else we could boast. It's a free gift of God. So we're going back to second Corinthians again, five, he made you to be, made you to be his righteousness. Powerful. So when you get this understanding of who you are, see, because if you know who you are, the devil can't deceive you into thinking you're someone else. Hallelujah. You're not someone else. You're who God made you to be. This right here should get you running to know who God made you to be. He made you to be the righteousness that's his righteousness in Christ and seated you in heavenly places far above every principality and power, every wicked thing. So 
here we look at this, you know who you are, then what, what ends up happening is there's a boldness that comes through that. There's a boldness that comes through that. That boldness causes timidity and insecurity to run because when you're sure of who you are, when you're sure of who you are, you ever heard that phrase, you know, remember when people, you know, first get to high school or maybe they're, people are very young and they, uh, you ever heard the phrase that they haven't quite found themselves yet? Have you ever heard that? They've not fi- quite found themselves. Well, what does that mean? They're kind of uncomfortable in their own skin because they're not really sure of who they are yet. They've not really developed their, they've not come into their own uh, identity, if you will. They've, they're still kind of looking around wondering. You, you know what I'm talking about. That's in the natural. And people are insecure because of that. But once you've established who you are, and once you've gained your own identity, once you kind of know, you know, what you, what you are, who you are, what you like, then what, what ends up happening? One of the things that ends up happening is, is that you stop really caring so much what other people think, right? Because once you realize who you are, what you truly like, who you, your identity, then you stop caring as much what other people think. That's key. And in the spirit, that is massive. Because if you don't know who you are, if you're not positive about your identity, then what happens is you're always wondering. You're always wondering about if you're good enough, if you're strong enough, if you're called, if you're equipped, if you're you know, qualified, all those things. They're always in question. And this is where people flounder. I get all these questions about, should I do this? I'm, I don't know if I can do this. Can I? And the, people have such a low view of themselves. They have such a low view of who they are. But you know why? Hey, Brother Ted, you know why? Is because many times they are trying to define who they are based upon their own personal experiences or their own interactions or their own past. And they try to define themselves through that. And so do you realize that you could have been a failure for 20 straight years, 30 straight years, 40 straight years. There's no time frame. You could have been an utter and total failure for 40 years. And then Christ gets a hold of you and literally imparts his nature to you, imparts his righteousness to you all of these things, and turns you into a new person. Do you realize at that moment, when the transition happens, the 40 years of failures no longer have bearing on your life? Now, there may have been things that happen that still affect you in the natural realm, you understand, but none of them speak to whether or not you can do what he's called you to do from that moment forward. There may be things you have to deal with, like for example, practical things. Maybe you went bankrupt two times before you got saved. It doesn't mean you're going to have to stop dealing with the effects of, of bankruptcy, or maybe you had children outside of marriage and you've got three children that you're paying child support for, but then you got saved. Well, it's not going to change those things, but it's going to give you and equip you with the strength, the anointing, and the power to do everything you're called to do at another level of efficiency, excellence, and with purpose. It changes your identity. And once you discover that, then you don't allow the things that before your new birth, 
You know, I have people that are friends that say, they'll tell me stories about their life before they got saved. They say it's BC. You know, this was back BC. What they're talking about is before Christ. It's, it's almost like, you know, uh, if you look at the calendar we have now, you've seen it. There's BC and there's AD, right? Um, one, one, one way to look at it before Christ, after death, before Christ, after death, uh, or Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So there's a separation there based on Christ's life. Um, and so that's how they'll look at it. So well, this was before Christ. Yes. And the things that are before Christ no longer have a hold on who you are. So don't allow yourself to be driven and to be controlled and to be guided by things you did in the past that were before Christ, even before, let me say this, even before forgiveness, do you know it's possible for Christians to sin? If it wasn't, Paul definitely wasted a whole lot of parchment writing back to churches and encouraging them not to live in sin. Of course, it's possible for a Christian to sin, but you know what? The Bible tells us that if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's first John one, nine. He's able. Well, after he's forgiven you, he's forgotten it. What's the point of you continuing to remember it? If God has forgotten it. In fact, did you know, I was studying this the other day as we were preparing some of these videos for the, uh, the discipleship program to disciple new believers. And uh, Psalm 103 is, uh, is, is powerful. Because when you look at it, you start to realize in verse 12, this is how far that he's removed our sins from our life, our transgressions. Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's really saying infinitely. There's an infinite, you could go out, go out into space and d- travel west, it, as far as we know, for eternity. Travel east, as far as we know, for eternity. He's eternally removed our transgressions, our sins from our lives. So if that's the case, don't go back and don't let those things define who you are, know who you are. And when you know who you are, let me tell you something, it puts a boldness in you that cannot be shaken. Number two, that's number one, know who you are and know who you are in Christ. Number two, big, big step here. Stop caring what others think and say. I know this is a hard one to let go of for people, especially in our generation, because we're conditioned to think this way. We're conditioned to literally go off of, and and if you don't understand how, then let me help you see it. especially with the internet. And you can put it in the comments. Number two, stop caring what others think and say. Love you, Brother Daryl. But let me show you how modern day culture has conditioned us to depend on what other people think and say. Social media, first of all. Social media is designed in such a way so that when we put our thoughts out there 
or our creations or our pictures or ourselves truly, it can have an effect on your mind how people respond to what you release. They've proven this. This is not like my conjecture. There are young girls that will post a selfie of themselves and if it doesn't have enough likes in a certain period of time, they'll take it down. They'll take it down and then wonder what's wrong with me. How come nobody liked my picture? What, am I ugly? It'll affect their whole confidence because they didn't get enough likes. In fact, this is one of the reasons that Instagram in some countries has already and is considering worldwide removing the likes count from things posted so that you can just see the image, but the likes count is removed. Well, why? Because it has a true psychological effect. Nobody really liked this. A lot of people like this. And so we're, we're conditioned to put things out there for the approval of others. They've actually shown that our brains react when we see something's really being liked and shared and that we've produced, our brains react and the same pleasure center of the brain that reacts when you do cocaine or whether you, whatever it might be, eat sugar, it's the same pleasure center of the, of the brain that releases dopamine into your body when you see the notifications that your uh, posts are being liked and shared and retweeted or whatever. It's insane. It's actually an addictive drug, social media is. And that's why they've, they've proven it's an addictive thing. And that's why there's social media addiction. But beyond that, not just that, think how crazy this is now. Think how crazy that what other people think drives our actions. Think of something like Amazon.com, think of Yelp. Think of those two websites, Amazon.com, Yelp.com, or the apps. And imagine this, if you've got, and they've proven this too, let's say you've got two products on Amazon that are the exact same product, exact same, they do the same thing, uh, they have all the same abilities, capabilities, and they're the same price, same exact price. Do you know which one you're going to choose to buy most likely? The one that has more reviews and the one that's hot, reviewed higher. So let's say you looked at the same product, both of them, everything's the same except the reviews. Product A has 2,700 reviews and a four-star rating. And then you look at product B and it's got like 31 reviews or like 300 reviews. And it's like three and a half star rating. Or let's just say, I'll, I'll, go, I'll do it better. It's a four and a half star rating. So it's got a better rating, but it's only got like 300 reviews. And the other one's got like almost 3,000 and it's four star. You will almost always, they've, They've proven this. You'll almost always choose the product that has thousands of reviews and a half star less on the rating. You know why? Because we're trusting that what other people think is true. That's exactly the reason we click on that product to buy it. We're trusting. We've been conditioned. If other people say it's good, it must be good. Same with Yelp. Look at two restaurants. You know, what, which one are you going to choose? If you see a restaurant in a town you've never been to, and the one restaurant has four reviews 
even if it does have a five-star rating. And the other one's got like 700 reviews. I choose that one every time because it, it means that people went there. It means people not only ate their food, but actually took the time to review the restaurant. I picked that one. We all do because we've been conditioned. Yeah, exactly. We've been conditioned to agree if the majority thinks that, if people think that, if society thinks that, if culture thinks that, then we then that's who we trust. That's what we do. Let me say, let me say something that's interesting. And this is not me being political. It's me proving a point to you. When when the whole during the lockdown last year, when the whole thing happened and the all Black Lives Matter like blew up and everything, and everybody was posting a black square on their Instagram. You remember that? Everybody was posting a black square. Black square, black square. Instagram was blacked out. You remember that? There were so many people, I guarantee you, there were so many people that don't support Black Lives Matter that really didn't even necessarily know the full story or what was going on. But because of the cultural pressure to be viewed as empathetic, they posted a black square. They posted a black square. Not because they would have otherwise, not because they support BLM, not because they even knew the facts, but because there was cultural pressure of others all around them who said, this is what you should do. If you've got empathy for the black community, if you care, if blah, 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 then you need to be blacking out Instagram with the rest of us. And you know what they did? They posted it. They posted it because, not because of anything they did, but because there was an outward force pushing them to come in line and do what everybody else is doing. It's exactly what happened. Many people posted for that reason, many. And so you can see we're conditioned. We are conditioned to care what other people think and to care what other people say, but it's dangerous. And let me tell you why it's dangerous for a Christian that because we will never be in the majority. I want you to put that phrase in the comments section. Christians will never be the majority, ever. And I want you to write it because you need to get it in your mind and in your spirit. Because I think there's this false hope or this false faith that people have. Well, I'll tell you, revival's going to hit this world and church Christianity's going to take this nation over. It's going to take the world over. It won't. Jesus already prophesied that it won't. His prophecies are not going to be false. They're not going to not come to pass. The Bible says that the path, the path that we're on, it's a narrow path. It's a straight and it's a narrow path and few there be that find it. It's not going to ever be the majority. It will be the minority forever. Few there be that find it. The way, the, the path to destruction is wide and there's many on that road. Bible teaches that. Jesus, what did he say to his disciples? He said, you will be hated all over the world for my name's sake. You'll be hated. He said, if they hated the master of the house, they're going to hate you. They hated me first, Jesus said. And because they hated me, they're going to hate you. Christians will never be in the majority. They will always be in the minority. That's Bible prophecy. 
And in the end times, last days, the Bible says, and many will fall away from the faith. The hearts of many will grow cold. That's prophecy. And so the great apostasy of the end times is going to happen. It will never be the majority. So that the reason I'm saying that is because when you understand, when you understand that uh, we're being conditioned to flow with the majority, to care what the majority thinks, to fall in line with the majority. Do you now see how dangerous that is? To fall in line with the majority. So, so literally, that means I have to take on their thought process. That means I have to uh, uh, fall in line with what they want done in America and I have to come in. But let me just say this to encourage you. Although Christians will never be in the, in the majority in number, we are still the majority by the spirit because we carry dominion, authority, and power. And we have the ability by prayer and fasting to shape the course of nations. I want you to, th- to see this, to shape the course of nations by fasting prayer and the dominion we have in the Holy Ghost. Though we're the minority in, in population count, we're the majority in spirit and power. We can shape the course of nations in history through the power of God. And it's been done through the ages. Look at what happened in the first 300 years of the church. They were killing them. They said, we're going to crush Christianity the way they'll never exist after, after we're done with them, we'll destroy it all. You know, the scriptures will be destroyed. The Christians will be destroyed. And it flourished in the first 300 years. Christianity blew up and went around the world. Evangelism. I mean, churches planted all these things, huge success. They couldn't stop the word of God, couldn't stop the church because Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So though we're in the minority in count, we're in the majority in power and authority by the spirit. You understand? So even if all of hell lined up in front of one believer, one believer is still more powerful than all of hell. But remember this, remember it. Don't let this get out of your mind. It will never be the majority that's doing the things God wants done. It'll always be the minority, always. And so you can see the danger of caring what people think about you and what they say about you. I go back to Luke chapter six, which is where I want you to go. Luke chapter six, because when Jesus is dropping his woes in the Beatitudes, the woes are coming out, woe unto you. And then he tells why. One of the things that he says, and this is very, very important for us to get in our spirits, especially in 2021. I like what AJ put in. He said, Daniel, through prayer and fasting, saw the greatest empire on earth finance and dispatch the Hebrews to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Think about that. Think about that. Listen to Luke 6, 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. (laughs) Catch that. So their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus said it's a big problem. It's a big problem when everybody is speaking well of you. You know what that means? If everybody is speaking well of you, then it means you're really not doing anything worth talking about. It really means if everybody's speaking well of you, 
It really means that you're not standing for the agenda of God hard enough. Because if, uh, that's exactly right, it's a good way to say it, AJ. If everyone likes what you're saying, you might be a false prophet. Very true. Because if everybody likes what you're saying, then how is it that people with an antichrist spirit are praising what you're doing and what you're saying? I won't mention his name, but there was a recent minister that had a major problem. And uh, I thought about this years ago when he was in GQ magazine. And even those that were in GQ magazine were like praising him, praising what he was saying, praising what he was doing. And I thought to myself, these people are full of an antichrist spirit, full of an antichrist spirit. And they're literally happy with his style of ministry, the way he's doing ministry, what he's saying from the pulpit. I thought this is a major problem. Now, I thought this like two, three years ago when GQ was covering him and his church. And of course, now it came out that he had a major issue. But I thought that back then. I thought, man, how in the world is this possible? That people, the most liberal people that you can find in America are praising this preacher for what he's doing in the kingdom. And then that bothered me. I thought to myself, that doesn't make any sense. Antichrist spirits praising a preacher in a church. And well, now we can see why. Because it wasn't Holy Ghost that was moving. It wasn't a Holy Ghost that was operating. Notice this. There was nothing in his spirit. There was nothing in his ministry that offended, offended their Antichrist spirit and attitude. AJ said, if the ladies of the view like you, you're definitely out of line. (laughs) It's true. If the, the ladies on the view are praising you, you've got a problem. You've got a massive problem. And it just showed me that like this way of doing ministry now, I was talking to somebody about it last night. It like, It it disgusts me. It turns my stomach in every way possible. This style of doing ministry, uh, it's true, Matt. Joe Rogan called him out publicly even before the problem took place. Joe Rogan posted pictures of this minister on his show and said, look at this dude. He's definitely out, uh, you know, for blood or whatever. So if you look at this style of, of Christianity, this style of ministry, that all they want to do is appeal uh, to sinners, they're appealing, but, but not by the gospel, but by, you know, hipster culture and, you know, being extremely relevant. You know, some people have gone so far as to be relevant by, uh, starting their church services with secular music, pop songs, all these other things. And it's like, are you kidding me? Your desire really is to look cool to those that are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's literally where it's at. They want to look cool to those that are dead in trespasses and in sins. doesn't please God to be that way. Hipster Christianity to me is a joke. It's a total joke because I was talking to somebody about this last night. I've not found people that are operating in that, that vein that operate in any kind of tangible anointing. I promise you. And I've been around a lot of it, a lot of it. And the tangible anointing is not there. I remember being with one guy. He was super hip, super hip. 
um, really edgy in his dress. I mean, you know, he would have looked like he was coming off the runway at some, you know, whatever. And he did his whole message, didn't quote one scripture. Nobody was ministered to. It was all soulish, totally soulish. And then the night that I preached and he was still there, uh, you know, we, we not only preached, but then we started laying hands on the people that were there. Well, I said, get up here. Everybody that's a minister, I want you up here laying hands on people. And he came up. It was like he was a fish out of water. I'd never seen anything like it in my Pentecostal life. I'm not joking you. He didn't know what to do. He was like, like a deer in the headlights. People, power God hitting people, people falling out in the Holy Ghost, people getting delivered. No lie. And he's up there like, I, like he, he had no idea. Never had, apparently that was not something that he had done or experienced or been a part of. I mean, I hope he has, but it was like, he didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to do. And it's like, there's no tangible anointing. You know, if, if your desire is to become famous, what a stupid, stupid, uh, goal to have in life. You know, we just want to be, be famous, you know, and that's what you see. Let me show you why this is dangerous. You look at all these celebrity pastors and I'm not against pastors becoming famous. If you're doing the work of God, you will grow. You will become famous. Look at Billy Graham. Billy Graham wasn't a hipster. But I mean, like, you look at Billy Graham. He, look at Reinhard Bonnke. You know his name because he's the greatest evangelist that ever lived. <laughs> you know, as far as soul count, going to heaven. He wasn't hip. He was a German, uh, Orthodox, Pentecostal, you know, hardcore holiness Pentecostal that just did what the Lord told him to do. We know his name because of his obedience to the Lord. But for the sake of becoming famous, and so you see that, it's like you, you start seeing when these celebrity pastors start hugging up with celebrities. And it's like, okay, good. Got, you're now gaining uh, access into their life to minister to them. You've got open doors. But then when you see, it's just like them using that open door to take selfies with them and to like become more famous and to post it on their Instagram. And it's like, when do you challenge these people, because then you see, it's like, I'm so-and-so's pastor. I'm so-and-so's pastor. I'm so-and-so's pastor. But then you see the person and all they do is continue to live the lifestyle that they've always lived. That's a problem. That's a problem. It's a problem when you're, well, I'm, I'm this celebrity's pastor. I'm this celebrity's pastor. And that celebrity is showing no signs of fruit that's pleasing to the Lord in their life. They're still just as filthy as they were before. At some point, you might want to stop calling yourself their pastor because it makes you look like a joke. Makes you look like a joke. Where's the influence? Stop taking selfies with people and call them into the life of God that God's called them to. Hold them accountable. Disciple them. Raise them up in the faith. Where's the conviction? And you know what the problem is? Many of these hipsters don't have enough Holy Ghost anointing deposited on the inside of them to do anything, to do anything, anything. And most of them, I, I would say there's some I've been around. I wonder if they're even called into the ministry at all, at all. You know, it's dangerous. There's people that were uh, moving in a ministry of helps 
and then somehow started to think, well, I should actually be the, the head honcho. And they start their own ministry, go start their own church. And I wonder if at all they were called into fivefold ministry. And look at the, look at the danger. They care what other people think. They're trying to cater to the desires, the thoughts, the culture of the world. And it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And they care what other people think. Beware when all men speak well of you. Don't care. You have to stop caring. <laughs> There's a book that came out. Obviously, I won't quote the title because it's unquotable on this broadcast. But even business people are starting to understand this. <laughs> the, the book is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Care. <laughs> and I've so heavily edited that. <laughs> I think it's by Mark Manson, if I'm correct. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Care is the name of the book. And you understand it, that if you're going to be successful in what God's called you to do, you have to put your blinders on and you have to not care what other people think or say. There will be critics. And if anybody's doing anything of value for the Lord, <laughs> Ben knows what I'm talking about. If anybody is doing anything of value for the Lord, there are going to be critics. There's going to be critics. There's going to be people that don't agree with the way you did it. If I was you, I wouldn't have done that. If I was you, I would have done it different. If I was you, I'd have said something. And they're not doing anything. Did you ever notice the average person, the quote unquote armchair quarterback of Christianity is not really doing anything, not doing anything. They have so much time to critique you because they're not doing anything in purpose. It's never, let me just say this. It's never someone's purpose to just go around critiquing other people. That's not a purpose. That's not a calling. You're not God's referee. You're not God's referee. There is no calling. You see what I mean? And so I want to encourage you that if you're still caring what other people say and think, you're going to be in turmoil for the rest of your life. You'll always be out of sorts. You'll always be uh, worried. It'll be constant drama. Constant drama. So you can't do it. You think Jesus lost the victory because people didn't speak well of him? You think the apostles lost the victory because people didn't speak well of them? <laughs> you know what they told him? I mean, they got called in before the high council and told him, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. We don't want it. We don't like it. You know, they said, Acts 5, 29, we must obey God rather than man. So if you don't like it, you don't like it. Paul said, I'll preach this from a jail cell if you don't like it. I'll preach it from a jail cell. And people are bending and bowing to the culture all over America like little lemmings following the, the pattern, following the narrative, following what the spirit of this world wants to be done. Churches with no intestinal fortitude. I mean, literally, if you are anywhere near a church that requires you to be vaccinated to attend, requires you uh, to be masked up, everybody in the church has to be masked up to come in, you need to find another church. You need to find another church. It's ridiculous. Bowing to the spirit of this world. 
all that stuff. It's ridiculous. If you care what other people think, you'll always be in turmoil. Well, how do you stop caring? See, this is why I gave you number one first. When you know who you are and you know that's who you, you, what, you, what you should be. See, think of this. If, if you go straight to number two and you, someone's criticizing you, then you start getting introspective and what do you start thinking? Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I shouldn't be that. Maybe I'm too harsh. Maybe I'm too hard. See, if, if you go to number two uh, straight away, then you'll always be wondering. But if you have number one first, know who you are and know your calling and know what the word of God says. This gives you a foundation so that if anybody pushes back at who you are, it doesn't matter. Because you're like, I don't have to get, get introspective about it. I don't have to th- rethink it. Because if I was called to do it, if it's who I am, if it's what the Bible says, I don't care what people say about it. I could care less what people say about it. Do you think, let me, let me give you a, a really extreme example. Do you think I care what anybody might think of me preaching that homosexuality, any of the LGBTQ community, Any of those things is a sin that will send you to hell. Do you think I care that there's a group of people trying to redefine what the Bible said and trying to redefine what the Bible means? Do you honestly think I care? Do you think that I'm, because of the culture we live in that's so uh, pushed and driven by the LGBTQ community, I said, well, you need to be more tolerant. And there's whole churches now that are ordaining uh, homosexuals into the pulpit, all these other things. Do you think I care? And it doesn't mean I, I hate those people. I don't hate them. I don't hate anybody. I love homosexuals, love lesbians, love uh, transgender people, whatever they are. doesn't matter what they are. I love them. I want to see them in heaven. I want to see them saved. I want to see them changed and regenerated. But I'll tell them the truth because I love them. I'm not going to change the truth because I love them. I'll tell them the truth because I love them. If I changed the truth, it would mean I don't love them. If I told them something that God never said, it would be proof I don't love them. Telling them the truth is the proof that I do love them. I tell them the truth in love. But do you think I'm going to be like swayed? Do you think I'm going to be pushed and, and drift by the winds of culture that change every five years? Are you serious? There's churches all over doing that. We've had to rethink, you know, we rethink. What about that one I brought up the other day? That was the, the church that Carrie Underwood attended in, what is it, Nashville, outside of Nashville. And they started, we've had to rethink our stance on same-sex marriage. Yeah, I know why you rethought it. It's because Carrie Underwood, that was giving all the money to your church, if she was giving, that attends your church, spoke out publicly about it. And if you wanted to keep her around in your congregation, you had to follow suit or she's going somebody else with her tithe check, somewhere else with her tithe check. And that's exactly what happens. People are controlled by the spirit of the world, by money, they'll answer to God for it. But I'm not changing and you shouldn't change because culture changes or the viewpoint of the spirit of this world changes. You stay true to the word of God. You stay true to who he's called you to be. You stay true to your identity in Christ and you don't care what other people may think about it, what other people may say about it. And then finally, I'll I'll say this and this will be, Very brief, but in 2 Timothy, Paul writes 
to his son, Timothy, and says in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. Actually, you know what? I'm going to read verse 6, 6 and 7. Let me mark that in so that um, you understand where I'm coming from on this. Because this will shake you, just this one thought. Look at this. We always go to verse 7 immediately. And we say, for, the, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind or self-control. Yes, that is true. But then the question is, how do we deal with a spirit of fear? Well, you have to go to the verse right above it. The Bible says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, self-control. If you study Timothy and, and what Paul wrote to him, you might come to the reality and understanding. It's like I wrote in my book, Further Faster. You may understand that Timothy was probably dealing with insecurity, a spirit of fear. That's why Paul's writing to him about it. The reason being, Timothy was a young man at this time. He was a young man and he's pastoring people that were older than him. And Paul had to write him and say, listen, declare these things that I'm teaching you to the entire assembly. He told him that declare these things to the entire assembly. That means whether they're younger than you, your age or older than you. And then he says this and let no man despise your youth. Don't let anybody look down on you because of what age you are. So apparently Timothy had an issue where he felt insecure because of his youth, his young age, preaching with authority and declaring these things to the entire assembly. And Paul had to tell him, no, no, don't let people make you feel insecure because of your age and you're doing what you're called to do. But instead stir up the gift, stir up the gift that's on the inside of you that came through the laying on of my hands. So Paul's making the point, you've got something that came through impartation that you need to stir up, keep it in your mind. Focus on that when you minister. You don't have a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and self-control. And so notice how Paul helped Timothy deal with insecurity. He said, first of all, it's not age that matters. It's the anointing in you that matters. Focus on that. Don't focus on your age. And you've got a gift. Now it's your responsibility to stir it up. This translation, fan into flame. Fan into flame. The gift of God that's in you. How did it come? Through the laying on of my hands. And so one of the ways you can stir up the gift is to pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the spirit. Jude 20, the Bible says, but you beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Ghost. Love you, Grace. So what you can do, number three, know who you are in Christ. Don't care what others think. Then stir up your gift is number three. Put it in the comments. Number three, stir up your gift. Stir up your gift. Stir up the gift. How do we do it? Well, one of the ways is by praying in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost and build up your most holy faith. Build it up. Stir it up. I tell people all the time, praying in the Holy Ghost doesn't give you more faith. It 
exercises, it stretches out the faith you already have. Gets it ready for action. Gets it ready for action. And so I want you to see that today. Start by praying in the Holy Ghost. Pray in English. Fill yourself, watch this now, fill yourself with the Word of God daily. Fill yourself with the Word of God. I like what uh, Paul said in the book of Acts chapter 20. And he said it in verse 30, I believe 32. He said, and now, now listen to this carefully. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, the word of his grace, the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. You see that? And give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what's Paul saying? I commend you to God and to the word. What is it able to do? The word, according to Paul, according to the Holy Ghost, the word is able to build you up. It's able to build you up. And so pray in the Holy Ghost, builds up or stirs up your most holy faith. Pray in your known language and then fill yourself with the word of God. Fill yourself. And, and like you're doing now, listen to preaching and teaching to build your faith. But notice what happens. It builds you up. It builds you up. If you've got a lack of resources, lack of prayer, lack of word, lack of impartation, you're going to be out of position to do what you've been called to do. And so let me encourage you today. You can destroy insecurity in your own life by knowing who you are in Christ. Don't let the past govern the future. Know that that man's dead and this new man is completely new and has been given righteousness. Number two, stop caring what people think. And number three, stir up your gift. Stir up your gift. Do it by prayer, in English and in the spirit. Do it by the word. Do it by impartation from other ministries. Let them fill you with faith. And it causes you to get bold and get strong. I mean, just by a showing of hands. How many of you, just because you've been a part of the victory tribe, hearing these teachings every day, it's put you on another level of strength. It's put you on another level of boldness. Just hearing these things, throw, throw a hand up if that's true. If it's not true, you don't have to put a hand just for my sake. But if it is, I'd love to see that these teachings have done that in your spirit, given you boldness, given you strength to stand up. Look at the hands. And I love every one of you. That's why we do these every day. Because I love you. And I want to see you strengthened. I want to see you built up. I want to see God use you and you not miss any moment of effectiveness and impact in your generation. You'll not, you'll not miss it in Jesus' name. You'll not miss it. You'll not miss it. <laughs> Leslie said, I'm putting two hands up. <laughs> Amen. And you're going to do great things. Let me encourage you. You're going to do great things in the kingdom. You stay faithful. You stay faithful. Because time is running out, but we're the remnant. We're the faithful remnant. That Jesus said, when I come, will I find faith in the earth? You will in the victory tribe. You will in the victory tribe. In Jesus' name. And so I want to pray because it truly is, you could look at it. It's a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of timidity, the Bible says. We're casting it out. You'll not be held back any longer by insecurity. You'll not be held back any longer 
by the things that the enemy has sent to stop you, to pause you, to hinder you. No longer. Not after today. Not after today. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm praying for every person watching and every person listening on the podcast. Today we take authority over the spirit of fear. Your word speaks of it. The spirit of fear. And we command it to go. We command it to leave our lives, our spirits, our minds. Loose us today. Let us go. Let a spirit of faith take its place. As I was speaking about in the beginning of this broadcast, the spirit of faith. Lord, let us all receive a fresh impartation of the gift of faith. Let us walk at that level. Use us mightily for your glory. Lord, those that you've spoken to specifically to step out in 2021 and do things they've never done, accomplish things for you they've never done. I pray that you would give them a new and a fresh boldness from this day. Spirit of God, come upon them mightily in this new day to do what you've called them to do. Not care what others think about it, but to step out by faith in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you receive it, if you believe it, throw some hands up in the comments section. Throw some fire in there. Thank you, John. I appreciate you saying it. Amen. I want you to put this in all capital letters like you're a crazy person commenting on my live stream broadcast when I preach at churches. I won't be held back. I want you to put that in the comments. I won't be held back. We're declaring it today. If you think I'm going to be stopped by the spirit of this world, you're insane. I won't be held back in Jesus name. I will not. I will not. No. No. Nope. It's exciting to be a part of the winning side. That's why I keep calling you the victory tribe all the time. It's who you are. Part of the line of Judah, his line. Judah is the tribe of victory. Judah is the tribe of victory. <laughs> Amen. Before we go, I want to invite you to sow a seed today. I want to invite you to do something that's full of faith. You got that kind of faith? You got that kind of boldness? I want to invite you to do something by faith. Amen, Leslie. We receive it in Jesus' name. Thank you for that seed. All the ways to give are on the screen. Thank you, Juliana. You can use hashtag donate on Facebook or Twitter. You can use Cash App, Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, MiracleWord.com has all the ways to give. If you'd like to use a debit or credit card, do it on MiracleWord.com. But I'm receiving this offering by faith today. I'm believing that today's going to be a day that supernatural breakthroughs begin for you financially. Janine, thank you. We're finishing the first three months 
of this year. It got me thinking about when David had to leave the Ark of the Covenant in Gath with Obed-Edom. Because remember, Uzzah reached out his hand and touched the ark and died. And he said, I'm not bringing it back to Jerusalem like this. And he left it in Gath and went back to Jerusalem. And then one of his advisors came to him and said, we've got to go back and get the ark. Because it's now rested in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And because he's had it, everything in his house is blessed. Everything. He's increasing. Even his servants, his possessions, everything. It only took three months. We've just crossed the three-month line for 2021. My prayer is going to be that now that we've gone three months into this year, that we're running, and we are running, that breakthroughs are going to begin to appear in your life financially. Breakthroughs. Maybe you've felt to start a business. I'm going to pray that as you start it by faith, the resources flood in. Step out in ministry, whatever it might be that's, that's happening. Stepping out and the financial breakthroughs because of your faithfulness of your sowing. See, that's the key. It's never sovereign. It's the result of our sowing. So I'm praying, Father, for every giver, for every person that's faithful to sow seed, that's standing with us, me and Carolyn, standing with this ministry, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd open the windows of heaven. And Lord, as we step into, which is what, tomorrow, April Fool's Day, make a fool out of the devil. Make a fool out of his plans to stop us, to keep us in a place of not enough. Make a fool out of every demon that said we wouldn't be blessed. And let those financial blessings begin to explode in every one of our families and every one of our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord. We give you glory. We give you praise. And if you believe it, sow that seed by faith. You can partner with us. And that's what we're asking you to do. Our prayer request, as you know, is that God would send to this ministry a thousand people that would stand with us at $85 a month or more. That's a thousand dollars a year. So whether you feel to do it in one shot or to do it monthly, we have some people that are sending a hundred, 200, 500 a month, some more, but do what the Lord tells you to do. What are you able to do by faith? And then stand with us in partnership. Amen. Stand with us in partnership. And if you go to the website, you can do that by clicking partner and setting up a monthly seed that you'd like to sow. You have an account, so you can change the date. You can change the amount you'd like to sow at any time by logging into your account. But it's all there on the website and you can stand with us. For everybody that's sowing in the month of March, today's the last day, uh, we're going to be sending you Brother Hagin's book, The Will of God in Prayer. And... Uh, you can get it by going to miracleword.com and you can go to forward slash offer and right there you can get that. Give us your address. We know where to send it. On top of that, we've got this uh, life application study Bible, which I was just talking to somebody yesterday and uh, kind of talking about what I feel like is 
the overall, I'd say for the average Christian, the trifecta, the perfect trifecta of Bible study tools is the Life Application Study Bible, Dake's Annotated Reference Bible, and the NET with Translator's Notes uh, Bible. I really feel like it's the trifecta because with those three tools alone, you can do such deep Bible study and it'll open your eyes. I mean, this just alone, this right here, I keep this open as a side panel on my iPad and on my iPhone all the time. But between the Dakes, Life Application, and then NET with translator's notes, you cannot go wrong. And if you'd like to see how we use those and more of that, you can go to miracleword.com forward slash study. And we have videos there to show you how to study the Bible. But this is our gift for anybody that's sewing $1,000 or more. Um, this is a genuine leather version, which you can't hardly find anymore. They're not even making them. Um, the genuine leather version of the Life Application Study Bible in the New Living Translation. This is our gift to those sewing $1,000 or more. Uh, which books was it? It was the Life Application Study Bible, the Dakes, D-A-K-E-S, the Dakes Annotated Reference Bible, and the N-E-T Bible with translator's notes, the NET. Sorry for that pop. The NET. And um, we're going to put that together. I think it would be good for us to have like the total uh, Bible study package. So I understand. Hey, do what you can do, Norman. Many people are so used to the KJV. It's their Bible. It's what they've grown up with. I grew up with it. And uh, nothing wrong with it. Just study it, read it. And if you can understand it, do it. Do it. Uh, don't forget, today, brand new kids video, brand new kids Bible study on the subject of salvation. Uh, Maddie and Alex back at it again. You can go to MiracleWordKids.com. You can get it on the app and uh, you can get it on their YouTube channel. Go to MiracleWordKids.com. You can see the video, download the Bible study resources, new stuff coming. It's exciting how much stuff is coming out for the kids Every week now, we used to do once a month, now we do once a week, and we got more things in the works for kids as well. Very, very excited about it. We love you. Thanks for hanging with us today. Um, anything I'm missing? Magazine's coming, app is out. There's so much going on, I can't remember. <laughs> so you wouldn't have the reckless love Devo on the trifecta. I would not, AJ. I would not. And AJ, I need, to, I need to talk to you. If you could send me a text today after this broadcast is over, send me a text, please. I'd appreciate it. This Saturday night, I'm going to be in Pompano uh, Beach speaking at ADMI. Um, it's a Brazilian body of believers, so I will have to have a translator because I don't speak Portuguese. But it's at 7.30 p.m. in Pompano this coming Saturday night before Easter Sunday morning. Uh, I don't know. I've not heard anything, Liz, about whether that is going to be live streamed. Do you know, Tiff? No information on that. I don't have information. They probably will. We'll give you more information as we get closer. But I'm in Pompano. You can see the information on our website. 
It's Saturday night. We got people local coming to hang with us. It's going to be great. 7.30 p.m. Pompano, ADMI, Brazilian Body of Believers. Can't wait to be with them. We'd love to see you guys there. If you can make it, if you're local, love to have you. We love you guys. Have a phenomenal day, a blessed day. Thanks for everybody that's sewing. Thanks for standing with us. We'll talk to you again very soon. Love you. All Lena, we'll see you there. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.